Welcome to Victory Church. If you're watching online, it could be good morning, it could be good afternoon, it could be good night. We're just doing the Truman Show up in here. It could be all of them. Hey, you can take a moment, you can air high five, uh, you can air hug. If, if, you've, if you're family with them, you can do whatever you want to. Uh, you, you, know, you live with them. Uh, it's, it's your own personal business, but I just want to say welcome to Victory Church. So excited to have you with us this morning. And again, welcome to all of our online family. Uh, it's always exciting to just kind of be in your living room or on your podcast or whatever it is that you're listening to so that you can continue to go with us during this journey. I do want to ask one quick favor, uh, but, and I'll give a couple announcements and we'll get into this. Number one, if you're visiting with us and you are here in person or you're watching online, uh, we're going to put a number on the screen. And I just ask you to text that number. Victory 18 is what you would text to 31996. And what's going to happen, it's going to send you a digital connection card. Uh, it's just our way of trying to be able to remain contactless at this time for your safety and, and, uh, and, and well-being. And so you'll be able to get that contact card and be able to, or connection card, be able to fill that out, send it to us. That gives us the opportunity to reach out to you and try to make some connection. If you are physically here and you would like to, after service, Darla and I will be in the lobby. We'd love to meet you, love to get to know a little bit about you, and just love to connect. So again, whether you're online, in person, you can text that number to stay connected as well as maybe reach out to us after service. Uh, here at Victory, we are about four things. We're about four Gs. Grow, guide, give, and go. And I made this announcement last week, and I think it's important to keep reminding you of this, that whether you are in person or whether you're watching online with us during this season, you can still participate in all four. And so our first G is grow, grow in God. And so literally that happens when you just continue to stay connected to the messages. I've been encouraging a lot of people, get a journal, start writing down what God's teaching us through this series. Guide is our small group aspect. Uh, I did make the announcement last week that those have kind of been on pause, obviously. We did start our first discipleship class this past week. The class was full, and it was incredible to be a part of, and so God is doing something great through that. But we do encourage you, hey, invite some of your friends to come to church with you. Invite them over to your house for a watch party. We can, we can still have a version of small groups, even during this season where it's a little bit difficult. Uh, the third is give. We do that two ways here at church or at Victory Church, one way is with our finances, and you can certainly still do that online. You can do it here in person. Uh, there is a black box in the back, contactless. Uh, if, you're one, if you like to write a check or, or have cash, you can do that way. Of course, you can give online through our app, our website. You can text to give. There's so many ways that you can continue to support what's happening here at Victory Church. The other way that we give is through serving. And I really do want to take a moment and encourage you that as we continue to open up more and more, we are, we are coming up soon on the official opening of our elementary kids' ministry, and we're continuing to open up different ministries. I do want to encourage you, if you'd like to, to get out and serve with us. If you've served before and you've been on the Dream Team, and obviously we've had about a year hiatus through this process, uh, I encourage you to let us know so that we can get you back connected. Or if you're new or if you've been coming for a while and just have never kind of made that step, uh, we'd love to connect with you. You can do that by texting that number and just kind of making a note, or you can talk to Darla and I after service, and we'd love to do our best to get you connected, get you serving, uh, because here's why. Um, Easter is coming, right? Easter is coming. It's coming up really soon. On that day, we're going to have two egg hunts. We're going to have an adult egg hunt. Yep, yep. There we go. 
uh, with some prizes in it, some nice stuff, and then we're going to have a kid's egg hunt for all the kids so that they can be busy while we're having fun, right? Yeah, is that how that works? Uh, so it'll be a great time together. If, if you're still online with us during that season, you can register, and we will bring Easter eggs to your house so that you can have an Easter egg hunt there. And hey, if you're real crazy, register and come in person, and you can have two egg hunts, right? How crazy are you right now? Um, and so we're just looking forward to that day, and obviously we, we need all hands on deck that day in different, different ways, and so if you want to serve, just let us know. And then, of course, last but not least, uh, Go is the fourth G of our church, and I made this announcement last week, and I want to keep it in front of you. In 2022, we are going to Costa Rica. Yeah. And so if you want to go start making plans, here's my best advice for you right now. Start looking into your passport, okay? Uh, I've been talking to a lot of people. Start looking into that. Maybe it needs to be renewed. Maybe you need to get one because I don't want us to be loading up at the gate and you go, oh, I'm supposed to have a passport? That'd be really awkward. Um, and so if you want to be a part of that, let us know. We'll have some registrations coming up soon online and through email for serving during Easter, for Costa Rica, all kinds of different things. But we want you to be a part. Amen? All right, if you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of John chapter 19, John chapter 19, if you've been with us uh, over the past 26 weeks or so, you would know that we are studying through the book of John chapter by chapter, and what's happening is John, the apostle or the disciple of Christ, has uh, put together everything that he has seen and heard in his relationship with Jesus during the years of Jesus' ministry, and he's taken the best parts and put it together in hopes that we would read it, and as a result of it, come to believe in Jesus as well. And I'm going to talk next week a lot about what it means to believe, but something really special happens today in John chapter 19. Let me give you a little bit of context before we jump into it. Um, last week, we talked about that Jesus has now been arrested. So Jesus was arrested by the religious leaders. He was brought in to trial with, with Pilate, the Roman governor. And what's going on is we are on the eve of the Passover celebration, okay, or the Passover festival. Passover was the celebration to remember when God uh, set the children of Israel free from slavery, okay? So that's the celebration. They would gather and kind of celebrate that on Passover. So we're on the eve of Passover, and what normally happens during Passover is Pilate, who has a coastal home, okay? He has this mansion because he doesn't like the Jewish people, and so he has this mansion on the coast. So he's come in town for Passover, and because of Passover, there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of visitors in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And the religious leaders are really afraid that if they don't hurry up and nip Jesus in the bud now, when all of these thousands upon thousands of people come to visit, they could fall in love with Jesus, they could start following Jesus, and then it, it, this whole thing could get out of hand and they wouldn't be able to shut Jesus down. So they're literally like, all right, we got to get him crucified and killed before Passover. So they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they say, hey, we need you to basically crucify and kill this man. And Pilate says, for what? What did he do? Pilate, after talking to them, realizes, you know what? There's really no reason for me to crucify Jesus. And so he's going to give them back, going to give Jesus back to them. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Okay, so John chapter 19, verse 12 is where we're actually going to start. And it says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. He didn't want to crucify Jesus. He didn't see any reason for it. So he's trying to set him free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So they're saying Jesus is opposing Caesar. You need to kill him. 
And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out. So he brings Jesus out of his area and he sets him down on, on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which is Aramaic is Gabbatha. And so he sets him down on the stone pavement. It was the day, here was the evidence of the time. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. So we are coming up on the Passover. It's the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. And Pilate said to the Jews, here is your king. Here is your king. But then they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And they go on to say, we have no king but Caesar. The, sh- the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so finally he gave in and said, here, you do what you want. And he gives them and they take Jesus and they crucify him. So it says the so- soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from the idea tanking for you. Look at the person beside you, anybody's close to you and tell them, just say, I'm tanking for you. Now, I don't know if you understand what that word means. That, that word has been around for a while, but it's recently starting to pick up a lot of popularity because of the professional sports world. So the word tanking in the urban dictionary means choosing to lose, okay? It means voluntarily losing. And what's happening right now, again, I, if you're not a sports person, I won't stay long in this, but I just want to give you context. What's happening a lot in professional sports right now is you have teams who think that if they lose now, They'll actually have a better chance at winning later, and so they purposely have been losing games. They will cause people to not play, or they won't play as hard, and so they call it tanking. They say, oh, this team is tanking. They're choosing to lose, but why they're doing it is because ultimately they believe by losing now, they're going to win later. What I think is comical is how angry people get when sports teams choose to tank. It's actually pretty funny. You'll watch commentators, you'll watch fans. Everybody freaks out and gets angry when their team, especially their team, but really any team, but especially their team, chooses to lose. And I think, I think it's because I believe that there is something inside of us that's wired to win. I, I just believe it. I think there's just something in us that wants to win, right? So we actually frown at the idea of tanking. We, we, we don't want to lose. We're competitive. You're competitive from uh, you know, a small child. I, I'll even give you this. Most of you, if you have kids, you know what this is like. When your kid plays a sport, you, you most of the time aren't even allowed to show up to the sport because you'll end up causing a fight, right? Because you're so competitive. Because, I mean, you know, it's five-year-olds playing t-ball, but you're over there trying to fight the coach because he should have been safe. Like, you know, it's just there's something in us that is so competitive. We're so wired to win that, watch this, the idea of choosing to lose is not even in the context of our thinking. Like, Like, we can't even grasp the idea that we would go into a competition and actually decide that we want to lose. This is where all the confusion was between Jesus and the disciples in these final hours. Because Jesus was constantly telling them, hey, I'm going to get arrested. They're like, no, 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 no. 
It's like, I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be crucified. But the disciples could not allow that kind of thinking. They, They couldn't accept that from Jesus. And the reason they couldn't accept it is because, watch this, to them, Jesus being arrested, tried, and crucified meant that they lost. And they couldn't, they couldn't process that. They, could, they couldn't wrap their mind around the idea of like, wait a minute, Jesus. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. We're, we're supposed to win. And now you're telling us that you're going to choose to lose? And we just, again, we just, they just could not wrap their mind around that concept. So they continued to argue with Jesus when he would talk about him being arrested and tried and crucified. Now, what's interesting about John chapter 19 is that every person in the context of the story has their own version of winning. (laughs) So, for example, Pilate, as I said before, Pilate just wants to get out of Jerusalem. He he just wants to go back to his coastal home. So he, he has to come in town for the Passover celebration, but he just wants it to hurry up and get over with. So when they bring Jesus, he's like, I don't really care. Can we just get this ball rolling? Because I'm ready to go back to my mansion and hang out on the beach. Like, I don't want to be here. So Pilate's idea of winning was just to get this Passover thing over and go. Meanwhile, the religious leaders, their idea of winning was to get Jesus killed before the crowd came into town because of the fear that once the crowd gets here, they'll follow Jesus and then their posse will be too big for us to overcome. So for them, the win was to hurry up and get Jesus killed. The Jewish people, their win was for the Roman government to be overthrown. That's what they wanted. And the disciples, as a matter of fact, that's what the Jewish people thought Jesus was actually going to do. And meanwhile, the disciples' win was for Jesus to show up and declare himself king. And because now, that means the person that they left their family for, they left their jobs for, that they've been given their life up to, is now king. Everybody had their own different win. And watch this. Every person had their role for Jesus in their win. For Pilate, it was just, Jesus, come on. Let me, let's beat you and get you out. For the religious leaders, Jesus' role was to die. For, for the Jewish people and the disciples, the, the, the role for Jesus was to come in and declare himself king. Everybody had their version of winning the game. However, Jesus had his own version of what it meant to win the game. And the thing that was shocking for everybody is that everyone's playing their own game, hoping that Jesus will help them win, but now the truth is is that Jesus is playing his own game, and watch this. When it comes to the game that Jesus is playing, you ready? Jesus is playing to lose. I don't know about you, but that's where theology messes me up a little bit because I'm wired to win. I'm competitive. Even when my six-year-old daughter wants to race me, I kind of want to win. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like there's a moment where I'll let her win, but if she starts bragging, then I got to show her up. You know what I'm talking about? So this idea that my Savior is playing a game where he chooses to lose, where he's ultimately tanking on purpose, it's kind of hard for me to swallow. And it was difficult for the disciples too. What what they couldn't quite wrap their mind around is that the Son of God, the Messiah, their Savior, had volunteered himself to be hurt, humiliated, and then hung. 
So let's check this out. Let's go back to John chapter 19. Let's start at verse one. Watch this. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, hell, king of Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Now, this has got to be some of the most controversial uh, scriptures that we could ever read in the Bible. You've got Jesus being uh, mocked and eventually murdered by the very people that he has been sent to save, right? And, and here's, here's, if we were just to be really honest for a second, here's what we would say. You might even be thinking this right now, like, it's not Easter yet, right? Like, we're still a couple weeks out. Why are we talking about this? It's not, it's not Easter yet. Because the reputation tends to be that we don't really bring up these kind of verses and these kind of scriptures until we get to Easter. And part of that's because it's heavy and it's hard to really grasp. But, but the real truth is that Easter is all about the resurrection. We're going to talk about, look, look, if, 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 if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, online or in person, I really encourage you to be here about the next three to four weeks, okay? Because we're going to really get into some stuff with this resurrection. It's going to be huge. But before we can start celebrating the resurrection, we have to take an honest look at what happened before. The disciples would have sat there and watched this. They would have watched Jesus get arrested. They would have watched Jesus be tried, knowing he's an innocent man. They would have watched him ultimately be beaten and then crucified and died. And the whole time they would have wondered, how are we going to win? What are you doing? doing, Jesus? You have volunteered to lose. You've chosen to lose the game. How could we possibly win? And Jesus would have replied to them, this, parentheses, losing, is how we win. Because what our Savior is trying to teach us is this, When it comes to his kingdom, before we can ever embrace winning, we have to be able to accept losing. Now, I get it. Matter of fact, I was talking to some of our leadership team, and and they brought up the idea of the crucifixion, the idea of this time and what Jesus went through and how it's, honestly, it's kind of hard for us to really even talk about or look at, right? Right? But what's interesting about the context is that before The Passion of the Christ came out, the movie by Mel Gibson, we never really had a full context of what that was like. Here's what I mean. Because we obviously want our kids at a very young age to understand what Christ did for us, we have taken the cross and made coloring pages, right? And, and I'm not, we probably have them. I'm not bashing them. I'm just saying, we, we, we wanted our kids to be able to understand that Christ died for us on the cross, and so we created coloring pages. And you know, and you can, you know, here he is on the cross and he has this little dot on his hand and you can color it red. And, you know, he's in salvation. And then we got into like, you know, elementary kids and high school kids. And we, we kind of made him more of a comic book, right? Where, where he was like this super strong dude coming through and he did die, but it was all comic-y because again, we were wanting the context to be able to be received by, by our kids. And then bless our hearts in the church world, look, it took a while before we got talented in dramatic arts, if you know what I mean, in the, in the overall church world. 
And so every Easter, maybe you were a part of one of these churches, we wanted to try to illustrate for people who didn't know Jesus what Jesus had went through. And so there was the infamous play, you know what I mean? And it would get dark, and you'd start to hear the ding, ding. And all of a sudden, this guy, it was the only guy in church who had long hair, right? It's normally the drummer. It's normally the drummer, right? You know, and so they'd get him because he, he looked like Jesus, and normally he weighed like 10 pounds, you know? And he'd come in with this robe just enough to cover everything because it's church, you know what I'm saying? So he'd come down this robe, and he'd be carrying this wooden cross that had wheels secretly on the back so he wouldn't have to carry all the weight, you know? And you'd have like these two, they'd go find the two bikers in the church and put the little fake, like the $30 from the costume store Roman soldier thing and they'd be like, move, boy, because they didn't know what else to say because you can't, you can't cuss in church. And so they'd be saying all these different things and Jesus would be coming down the aisle and they'd have this little Halloween costume store whip and they'd be whipping him, wow, you know, and they'd get up here and he, the whole, they'd have like these markers, like red markers on his back to be able to illustrate, you know, the stripes and they'd bring him up and, you know, they, everybody'd be trying to carry him, all this kind of stuff. And he'd have that moment where they would go through the, and then he, and then he died. Right? And that's, that's how the church would illustrate it. And again, I'm not bashing it. I probably was in a couple of those. You know what I mean? Like it is what it is. But, but my point is that in trying to illustrate it for people, we kind of desensitized it. Right? We, we, we kind of sanitized it. So much, watch this, that the, the most um, relevant or, or the, the, the closest to being accurate thing that we've ever really had is the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I mean, once you can bring in those kind of money and resources, you can really illustrate this. And what's funny, you can actually go and look this up. There were all kinds of reviews of The Passion of Christ, and most of them were like this, way too violent, way too gory. It was like we were talking about it as if Michael Bay thought the idea up in his head and then produced something and not realizing that this actually happened to somebody. Like, nobody wrote this script. This, everything that you're seeing that you think is too violent or too gory or uh, actually happened to him. And he didn't even deserve it. I, I know we can all tend to get a little... You know, depending on what someone has done, what their punishment is, he had done nothing. But yet, this is what he went through. And I think for you and I to fully understand the loss that Jesus took, we have to take an honest look at what happened to him. Because if this story is always a PG story or a PG 13 story, then hey, we miss the story. If the story remains PG, if the story remains enough so that you can look at it and not, you know, close your eyes, then, then we miss, we miss the story. Because the truth is that thousands of years ago, in this moment, at John 19, if you were there, and you were there, and I was there, we would have all looked away. I don't know where you stand with movies and what you watch, but we've probably all watched a movie before. Maybe nowadays it's more YouTube videos where you had a moment where you had to go, oh, oh, can't look at that. It would have been that kind of response. We wouldn't have been sitting there eating popcorn like, oh, this is crazy. 
you would have had to look away because it was so violent and so gruesome. And as long as this story is just something that our three-year-olds can color while they eat goldfish, we miss the story altogether. And you don't really appreciate the loss that Jesus took for you. So let's just take a moment. Let's start with the fact that they hurt him. They hurt him. John 19.1 says that Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Flogged, another word for that would be scourging. I think, I think that's probably a better word for what we're talking about. Flogging sounds a little bit innocent. But the idea was this. The idea is they had this kind of a man-made whip. Uh, they referred to it as the cat of nine tails. And so they had this whip and it had leather straps. Some leather straps were longer than others. And on the end of each leather strap, one, would, one strap might have kind of a, uh, some, uh, some piece of metal. And then another strap would have a piece of bone, and it would be all around the whip like that. And so what they do is they would take an individual, whoever it was, they would take them normally, I know they would have their clothes removed from their waist up, I'm not sure about bottom down, and they would tie them to a post, stretch their body out, and they would take that whip, and they would walk up, and they would slap them with that whip. And because the straps were different in length, you had certain straps that would catch onto the back flesh, so that bone and those shards of metal would stab in, and they would, some would catch in the back, and then some of the longer straps would actually go around into the stomach lining. And so then when that guard pulled that whip back, those bones and metal pieces that had caught into the flesh would then rip the flesh as it came off. It would then expose, obviously, insides, flesh, blood, and they would just continue, wow, shwa, wow, This process, scourging, was so violent that 40 whips of it, getting 40 whips by it, was actually considered uh, like an execution process. Like they actually considered that you were doing this as a death sentence. So therefore, most people would get 39 whips because it wasn't 40. <laughs> it couldn't be, couldn't be defined as an opportunity to put somebody to death. It was just one below. But it was basically, all the time, people would die from it before they even got to 39. So much blood loss, so much exposure. The the concept of flogging or scourging was often used for one of three things. One would have been punishment. Punishment was just this individual need to be punished. It often wouldn't be many because the person, depending on what they did, depending on what they deserved, it wouldn't be a lot of those whips. Another way that they would do it is they would use it for, um, for confession of a criminal. So if they wanted to, to interrogate a criminal, they wanted to get information out of him, they would do it. So obviously they'd be whipping him or, or her, whatever the process was until they gave out the information. The third way that this was used for, watch this, was to actually cause, actually prepare a, a person for crucifixion in hopes that they would, their, their time from, from life to death would be shorter. And so the idea was if they can lose a lot of blood now, when they get up on the cross, they won't be there that long. Because when they crucified people, they didn't want to be there all day, right? So they wanted to like, hurry up. And so the idea was that if, if we'll flog them first, We'll scourge them first, then they'll have a lot of blood loss, and by the time they get on the cross, this thing will move quick. So they hurt him. Like, like this is important for you to understand that this is what Jesus went through. What's interesting about the idea of flogging or scourging is Pilate actually hoped this would just be enough. His idea was, well, maybe if I put him through this, then, then the people that want the religious leaders will just be fine with it because, hey, he suffered. That wasn't enough. Not only did they hurt him, they humiliated him. So they hurt him, they, they flog him, and then it goes on to say in verse two that the soldiers then twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. Those thorns are said to be anywhere from an inch and a half to two inches in length. 
Uh, they would have been made into a crown and then put on his head. It also says they clothed them in a purple robe. Now, obviously, that would have been painful when those thorns would have been pressed in, but less about the pain and more about the humiliation. Jesus had been called the king of Jews, and so now they take this purple robe. Purple, uh, the color purple meant royalty, and, and they set up this whole scenario. As you know, when Christ is put on the cross, they put a makeshift sign above him that says king of the Jews, and they were mocking him. Now, to just give a little bit of humor for a second, I don't know that anybody here has ever seen the movie It Takes Two. Anybody by any chance? It Takes Two. It's got the Olsen twins in it. Uh, I'm about to show you just, and I didn't even have kids when I watched this. I'm not sure what's wrong with me. Um, but there's this scene where she, she ends up getting adopted by this family, and it's a bunch of punks, and her dad is of royalty. He has a lot of money, and, they, and she tells them that, and they end up mocking her, and they set her on this like fake throne, and they give her the scepter, and they walk around her, and they mock her, and then all of a sudden, her dad arrives in a helicopter to be able to pick her up, all right? I'm telling you that now because that's the situation that was going on. Jesus, the Son of God, is being mocked by the very people that he was sent to save. And watch this. At any moment, he could have snapped his fingers and daddy would have came down in a helicopter and it would have been over. And so I, however you choose, whatever part of Jesus that you really choose to stand on is like, man, that's my boy. Like, like one part of it is his ability to take pain. The other part of it is his, his ability to take humiliation. Humiliation. The fact that, hey, it, let's just say that he was able to make it through the pain. But now he's got this moment where he has to submit himself in humility and not get up and handle his business when they start mocking him and start calling. Their theologians said that, that the, the soldiers would have like danced around him and went over him and fake bowed to him. He's experiencing all of this. And here's the coolest part. Are you ready? Your savior went through that, went through the flogging, the scourging, and still did not budge. He didn't give in to what they wanted. He didn't try to play their game. He didn't say, all right, I'm gonna use uh, my, the fact that I'm the son of God and I'm gonna use that as leverage and I'm gonna wipe all of you out. Jesus stayed where he was because he had to lose the game. He had to lose it. So then the people say, we gotta crucify him. So they heard him. They humiliate him, and then they hang him on a cross. John 19, 6, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Now, here's what's interesting about crucifixion in the scriptures. When you read about crucifixion, they'll be talking leading up to it, and they'll give all these details, and then it'll get to the end, and they'll say, they crucified him, period. Give you all these details, and they'll get crucified him, Period. And the reason why they don't elaborate on the idea of crucifixion is because everybody who would have read those letters knew what crucifixion was. It, it wasn't, you didn't even, you didn't have to explain it. You didn't have to give details. They knew exactly what it was. It was the most feared form of execution in their day. The Greeks invented it. The Romans had perfected it. It, it, it was so gruesome, watch this, that it actually eventually got banned as a form of execution. How can something that's killing you be so bad that they think it's too bad to kill you? That just goes to show you how gruesome it was. Later on, the, the idea, the, the, the principle or, or the, the art of crucifixion, I guess you would say, it became art. It became paintings and it became jewelry. It became all these different things. But watch this. It was banned from the idea of art as long as people who had seen it with their own eyes were alive. 
So they couldn't actually succeed in using crucifixion as art until everybody who had seen it with their eyes had died. Because people would say that is too gruesome of an act for you to try to put as art. You've heard a little bit of, of what it is. They, they would take you and they would put nails in your hands and in your feet and they would put you on a cross. And then obviously because of the, the stature of it, you, you would be laying down. You'd have to pull yourself up to be able to, to breathe. And so individuals, that's what they would do a lot of times is they would just sit there over time, pulling themselves up. Obviously, the, the nails tearing through their flesh as they're doing it, pulling themselves up just to catch a breath. And then they would drop back down. Could you imagine that? Ooh, that moment. Um, the, the, the soldiers didn't want it to go for a lengthy time, so they would actually come around and break the legs of those who were on the cross because once their legs were broken, they couldn't pull themselves up anymore, and then they would suffocate quicker. Once you died on the cross, they would take you off the cross. They did not consider anybody who died by crucifixion, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, valuable enough to be buried. So they took anybody who died from crucifixion, they took their body, they threw it on a trash heap and let the dogs eat them, which is another incredible fact that the people went and bought Jesus's body. They didn't want that to happen to his body. Crucifixion was this terrible act. It was an action of death, listen, that was avoided by everyone, that was inflicted on many, but that was chosen by one. Think about that. This experience was avoided by everyone. Nobody wanted to experience this. There were a few that had to, they were forced to, but there will always be and there has only been one who has ever chosen it. One who's ever chose to lose. Now, I had this thought this week, and I didn't get to do a lot of, lot of time and study on it, but, 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 but let me just kind of throw it out to you. I, I was in my prayer time, I was like, God, why not just a heart attack? Like, if, 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 if the symbolization here is that we just need a death, then, then why does it have to be so violent? Like, like, you know what I mean, right? I mean, I don't know if y'all have these kind of, these thoughts I kind of have. And then just the, the, the more I prayed about it, I'm not gonna say I had this like incredible answer, but here was the feeling I got. It, if the death of Christ does not exceed a level of violence of the worst, then you could find yourself in a place where you would think that your sins are worse than his sacrifice. You know what I mean? So now it's not worthy. But when he goes through the absolute worst thing you possibly could and goes through it all, all on one, how, how many of you go to get drinks at, at, a, at a fast food place? Are you are those people that you, you get a little bit of everything? You ever seen somebody who does that? They'll like take the cup and get a little bit of every drink. It has to be the nastiest thing in the world. This is what Jesus did. Jesus said, I want it all. I'm not going to just get flogged. I'm not going to just be humiliated. I'm not going to just be on a cross. I want it all. Put it all in one cup so that no matter what happens, when my son or my daughter looks at their personal sin and wonders if Christ's sacrifice covers it, there's no argument. It's the worst possible thing. So here Christ is on the cross, scourged, humiliated, dying, and just a few hours ago, Jerusalem was filled with fans and skeptics. And there was this like weird zeal in Jerusalem because they were getting ready to celebrate Passover. 
And Passover was the remembrance of when God had set them free. And their thought was that there would one day be another Passover where God would come and set them free again, this time from Roman rule. And because of all the momentum that Jesus had, and because of all the things he had done and said, and because of all the excitement that surrounded him, they thought, just maybe, just maybe he's the guy. Just maybe this is the Passover. What if this is the Passover where it happens? What if Jesus is the guy? And so there's this zeal and there's this excitement and then you fast forward just a couple, maybe maybe this is the time where Jesus removes his robe and declares himself king. Oh, we can't wait. And you fast forward a couple of hours later and he's dead on a cross. And every disciple is confused. And one by one by one, Jesus' followers turn around and walk away. Because the game they were playing, that they expected Christ to win at, was never the game he was playing. And it was hard for them to accept the fact that their Savior, watch this, was never in it to win it. His goal was not to, to, to win at their game. He wasn't there to win some type of tug of war with them. Their Savior had come and he had chosen to lose. Let me show you. Go to, go to the next verse in John 19. 28, watch this, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Jesus says this, that scripture is fulfilled. It says a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, but the sponge, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Watch this. With that, Jesus bowed graciously out of the game and he gave up. Scripture says that he gave up. He gave up. He chose to lose. He, he tanked in their game for you. Watch this. The truth is this, that Jesus was playing a completely different game. And he was playing with completely different rules for a completely different kind of win. Everybody wanted Jesus to play their game. And if Jesus rips off his robe and declares himself king and starts throwing Roman soldiers everywhere, then he wins the people, the, the Jewish people's game, right? If he dies and he's not resurrected, then the religious leaders, their game wins. But he's not playing. Jesus did, he did not play to win. Jesus played to lose. Watch this. So that the other team, you and me, could win. I got this picture I was reading earlier this week, and it talks about where Jesus is in the middle and the, the, the two thieves are on the side. And if you know anything about this story, uh, one thief ends up saying, I believe you're the son of God. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
I couldn't help but think, like, imagine this. John, Mary, whoever's there, looks up and sees Jesus on this cross and goes, we lost. But they have no idea that because Jesus looks like he lost, the guy beside him just won. Right? Look, I can't wait to preach the resurrection. I really can't. These next four weeks, we're going to talk about how to live what you believe. We're going to talk about what it means to, to be called to make disciples. And then we're going to take two Sundays for Easter because we, we really love Easter. We're going to two Sundays. I'm going to break this resurrection down like you've never had it broken down before. I'm telling you, you'll walk out of here so empowered. We'll be shouting, dancing. This is my testimony. You know, we'll be so excited about it. Because that's what the resurrection does. It's like, ah, I'm empowered. I'm awesome. Let's do it. Let's go change the world. But you'll never appreciate the resurrection if you don't take an honest look at the crucifixion. If you don't really grasp the loss that he took for you. I, I was working out with a friend of mine Saturday. And we were talking about growing in our relationship with Jesus and that kind of thing. And he said, Troy, he said, it's weird. He said, the more that I grow in my relationship with God, the more uh, uh, emotional I get. I said, oh yeah, no doubt. I, I was telling him, I, I don't know how many of y'all were here for this. And we might've still been just online only, but I brought up like a stuffed animal of Jesus. Back when we were talking about him being the lamb of God, I had this lamb stuffed animal. And at the end, I replaced it with a stuffed animal Jesus. <laughs> He's in this like basket with like a blanket over something. You couldn't see it. And when I pulled him out, I got emotional. Like I choked up looking at a stuffed animal of Jesus. But it's just because, again, the closer you get to him and the more you realize the loss he took for you, something starts happening in here. And it's got nothing to do with rule following. And yes, we're always excited to be in the power of God and about move of God and do great things for God. But there are moments where we just have to sit back and go, thank you, God. Thank you. You chose to lose so I could win. If you don't get that, don't go any further until you do. Christ chose to lose. He chose to be hurt. He chose to be humiliated. He chose to be put on a cross. He chose all of those things so that you could win. There's a story, you, you may have heard of it before, you may not. It's a guy by the name of John Griffith. John Griffith's job was he operated a railroad bridge. Now, if you don't know what that is, this particular railroad it went across a body of water, so there was a bridge there. And often ships would come through on that body of water. So he, his job, his whole job, was to man that control area and to lift that bridge when a boat came through so that the boat could get through. And then he would have to obviously bring the bridge back down so then the train could go through. That was his job. He loved his job. He was married. Him and his wife just had uh, their, their first child, a son. And he was working, doing his thing, and his son starts to get a little bit older, a little bit older. His son starts to take an interest in trains. And that's really exciting for him because obviously he works with trains. And so there's this cool moment where he can kind of see that his son kind of looks up to him. His son thinks his daddy's this hero because he gets to work with trains. And it's just this incredible thing. And so after a while, the dad starts bringing his son with him to work. And he starts allowing him to see this is the control system. You know, he shows him this is the lever. And he, shows, he pulls the lever. And he shows the bridge. You know, go up, and then he pulls the lever, and it 
goes down. And then, you know, of course, the train comes by, and it's so loud. You know, it's shaking the control. And he's just like, Dad, Dad. And so, you know, they just do this. You know, every once in a while, he would come and experience it. He just loves it. And so one day, he's there. He's watching his dad work. And they decide to go have lunch. So they walk away, they have lunch. When they went for lunch, he, uh, John had left the bridge up because a ship had just recently come through. And, and, you know, he was fine, he had time. But he got to eating lunch with his little boy and got, got kind of distracted and all those kind of things. Next thing you know, he hears the whistle of the train. So he looks at his son, he goes, stay put. And he gets up and he goes running back to the control system. And he gets to the control area and he starts pulling the lever and he's getting ready, he's checking, doing everything right, trying to make sure to get the bridge down because the train's coming. And come to find out the train had 400 passengers on it, okay? So the train's coming down, he's trying to get everything ready and he takes one more look and he looks and his son had tried to follow him and had fallen through the catwalk and was laying where the gears of the bridge was. So now he has this moment, watch this, where if he decides to not lower the bridge and go out and get his son, that train is going to derail. It's gonna kill 400 people. Or he can choose right there in that moment to lower the bridge so that the train does not derail, but it will crush and kill his son. What do you do? So he did the only thing he knew how to do put his hand or put his head in his left arm like this and he pulled the lever. The story goes on to say that after a while the sounds of the train were so loud that it overpowered the sounds of his son's cry. It says that as the train went by he looked in the windows and there was a guy just reading the newspaper. There was a woman there just stirring her tea. They had no idea what had just happened. They had no idea that for them to win, somebody had to lose. And that's the message of the gospel. God looks at you and he looks at me. And he says, if I don't do something, I'm going to lose them all. And so I choose to lose my son so that they can win. The resurrection is great. It's going to be so powerful. It's going to really affirm a lot of things. But we can't skip chapter 19. We can't forget choice that he made. And if we're not careful, we'll PG it. We'll say, hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for walking down with those two Roman soldiers and getting those marker marks on your back. There was so much more. So I say that to say this. Whether you're watching online or whether you're in this place right now, do not, do not miss an opportunity to accept Christ's sacrifice for you and to have, your, to have your sins forgiven for salvation. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And that same number that we put up at the beginning of this service, again, whether you're online, whether you're in person, 
if your prayer today was Christ, I, I just, maybe it's the first time you ever really realized this, but it's a moment for you to want to accept what Christ did for you. It's your moment of salvation. I'd love to walk with you through that. I'd love to connect you with somebody who can explain even more what that looks like, why it is what it is. But do not miss out on this opportunity. So I'm gonna pray for you. And then the responsibility goes into your lap, your opportunity to send that text and say, hey, I prayed that prayer with you today. I got some questions. I need some answers. But I want to follow Christ. Father, we thank you right now for your sacrifice. Father, we're not skipping over John chapter 19. And as much as we cannot wait till next week to celebrate your resurrection, as much as we can't wait to spend a whole holiday shouting your praise, it's so important to stop for a moment and recognize what you did to pay for our sins. For every person that came in this place with shame and with guilt, it was that sacrifice that covered those sins. No matter what we've done, we can be forgiven because you chose to lose so that we could win. Your word says to believe in our heart and to confess with our mouths that you're Savior. Our sins will be forgiven. And so I pray right now for everybody in this room. For those who are believing for the first time. For those who have believed but have never made any kind of action. I pray that the idea today would move them forward. That's you just right now in your own words. You don't have to say it. I don't have to hear it. Just say it to yourself. Say, Father, I accept what Jesus did for me. I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for me. I receive salvation that, that my sin that was red as scarlet is now white as snow because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I receive it. I walk in it. Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. Father, make me new like only you can do. Now just take a moment. Now I just want to reflect for a second over exactly what it is that we're praying for.